Welcome to the Tiny Box Dialogues. This series was created to share the knowledge of our experts using real examples from real people with real stories. Welcome to Tiny Box Dialogues. Today we are speaking to Luca Doan and Christoph Burkhardt about sales automation. Now that might not seem exciting, but this should be fun because they don't always agree on where it's heading from what I understand. So first things first, let's introduce them. We'll start with Luca. Now, Luca, you have a fascinating transition that you took in your career. You're currently a senior sales professional who loves working with startups and building strategic partnerships have a passion for smart sustainability, but you started your career as a former military officer. So officer to sales professional, how did that happen? Can you give us a bit of a backstory? Yeah, so I suppose the uh, more practical answer would be to say that, you know, the, the army teaches one a lot of things, the military teaches one a lot of things. Um, basically, principles of leadership and um, all things that I think give one direction perhaps in life. At least that was for me. Um, moreover, uh, you know, it teaches you perspective or gives one perspective where you know you're put your, you put yourself in a particular situation where uh, life and death are at hand. Um, and in comparison to making a cold call, it's not so challenging, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Picking up a phone and calling a prospect makes it a lot easier. However, I think the, the, the real answer would be it just pays better in the civilian sector, in short. That's, that's a great synopsis and thank you very much. And I really like your idea of perspective. It's a much easier decision because I know, Chris, you've had your challenges too, but somebody always asked me, why do you have no problem going up on a stage? And I'm like, what's the worst that's going to happen? I've almost died twice. I'm not going to die. Like, you know what I mean? So I love that perspective. And Christoph, welcome to the Dialogues. You are currently CEO of One Life, but I've known you a long time when you were primarily working as a speaker and expert on innovation psychology, which I believe is a phrase that you coined. Fantastic. Um, and you're a three-time author writing Don't Be a Robot, as well as being my business partner. So why don't you share a bit of your journey into the B2C sales sphere? Yeah, uh, thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, super interesting topic. Um, I think so. What, what drove me in my career mostly was understanding what kind of strange animal we're dealing with. Uh, humans can be quite surprising, uh, very irrational. And at the same time, we're somehow making progress almost every year. So that was pre pretty much the question I started with. And now uh, I switched side from uh, understanding and advising companies to actually running one. And it's super exciting to see that the exact same problems don't go away. The same challenges persist. And sales is one of the field I feel where everything shows up. Uh, everything that that is a an issue, everything that can be a challenge, but also what really makes humans so strong shows up in sales mostly. It's, it's all psychology. Yeah, I love it. You know what? We're going to kick off with that actually, because I already said I'm excited for you to share your three uh, rules and how customers have changed. So why don't we start with that? And that could be the foundation of a continued discussion. So how have customers changed, Chris? Um, I don't think that customers directly change, but I think the world around them has changed a lot and that changes their expectations. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think what we've seen in mostly in the last 10 years is that, that people are used to a faster pace. And when I see how much time I have in the United States to ship something to people, then I know, oh no, they totally expect everything in 24 hours, no matter what product. Um, and that has changed a little bit. And you see that discrepancy also to Europe where you get a little more time still, but that's going away too. 
So the pay is definitely, no one's going to wait for anything. Uh, and no one wants to ask uh, anything. So whatever you can predict about your customers needs to be predicted. They're also used to that. So predict their questions before they have to ask them. Um, and then lastly, I would say uh, they don't want to think about stuff. So we're, we're getting used for things to become way more convenient and easy to do. Uh, interfaces become more intuitive. Uh, sales processes where you, you interact with the company, have to, that has to be super easy and yeah, kind of automatic. And so sales automation is interesting. We it started on the side of the companies, but I think it's shifting uh, on the side of the customer where they start automating everything around them and then they get used to the pace and, and the predictability. Yeah, it's, it's a shocking thing, isn't it, though? We used to wait for weeks for a product, and now if it's not there within the hour or within 24 hours, suddenly this is a problem, right? Luca, did you want to add to that? How do you think customers have changed? You know, uh, you know, Christoph, you bring up a good point. Um, I don't think people have changed. And if you look at the way people purchase and also the enterprise purchases, there are really few core uh, driving factors behind why someone does a thing or buys a thing, right? Speaking about sales. Um, there, there's about seven items why consumer buys, but basically it's necessity, convenience, security, FOMO, right? So these, these attributes um, propel us to go buy something we find on, say, Amazon, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and companies will buy for their own reasons, primarily funneling down to three, which is to save money, make money, or adhere to some kind of uh, compliance or a standard out there. Those don't change throughout time, but perhaps the other aspects around it um, do, uh, to your point. Fantastic. So I have to ask, because you are directly in sales, uh, do you find, because we are going to speak about sales automation, do you find that people are really reluctant to use um, automation, that they feel that it should still be cold calls and human-to-human interaction? Uh, Good question. I don't believe those two things are mutually exclusive. Mm -hmm. Um, automating a sales process and doing the tried and true methods, as one would say, pick up the phone and dialing a number, don't have to be separable, right? One can automate that process. For example, if you consider the top of the funnel, one of the most painful parts of a sales process, um, finding the right person to speak to, um, making that phone call, following up, sending emails, and then finally moving someone further along that sales process. That takes a considerable amount of time and has to be done over and over, right, in order to build one's pipeline. Um, that can be automated to some degree. So um, I would say that, no, those, those things are uh, very much go hand in hand um, and quite well, actually. What about you, Chris? Any thoughts on that? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think, sorry, before you continue, um, maybe we can just define the marketing funnel because not everyone's going to be familiar with this funnel sure. idea. Just real quick. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you consider the way someone buys from all the way from looking at a thing on a shelf to checking out the counter, mm-hmm. you're going to go through your own process, which is to evaluate other products, um, make a mental decision of whether you need it, and then finally p- p- take out that credit card. In the same way in B2B sales, you have the top of the funnel activity, which is gathering leads or gathering prospects. Mm -hmm. You have the middle of the funnel, which is to qualify those prospects to determine if someone is uh, someone or some entity is willing to buy something. Mm -hmm. And then the end of the sales process, which is the closing to ensure someone takes out that credit card and makes that sale, as it were. 
good distinction between B2C and B2B as well. We'll dive into that. Chris, you were going to add something to that um, funnel idea. Um, I, I just like the idea that there is, there's always a balance and there is a, a collaboration between the automation tools and the humans. Um, and in, in both settings, B2C and B2B, you will have to have to deal with both. Uh, you can't just automate. So I think it's, it's, a, it's a silly idea to automate humans out of this process. And the same way, it's silly to think that humans in the future will do everything in sales manually, and that will still succeed. There is no way that's going to succeed. And that has to do with the pace picking up. But also, a lot of things get connected now uh, that we had not connected before. Um, and so there is intelligence happening beyond humans. So yeah, there will be intelligence systems in sales that are not human driven. Um, but you still will need humans at some point. And I like this, the idea that the collaboration will make companies strong. What I find really interesting, and maybe you both have some comment on this, is that because uh, it is B2B versus B2C, I find that with B2B, you still get humans quite easily in the B2B process. In the B2C, I found myself going in circles sometimes with these online SaaS tools because you cannot find a person or you cannot find a way to connect <laughs> with a person. So you're like, really though because now i'm like you're just sending me in circles and i still can't find the answer right so um you know let's let's dig, dig into that a little bit more is you know you build strategic partnerships luca christoph you're dealing with a b2c product but it also requires strategic partnerships what why is the approach so different and why are we you know willing to accept the humans still in the b2b and not so much in the b2c anymore is it purely just expense driven oh that's a good question uh, I mean, the other day, I had a wonderful conversation with a chatbot on eBay, uh, who was able <laughs> to answer my questions. I even said thanks. The bots, I don't know, he or she or they also said thanks, and I got my thing done. Um, so I don't know, perhaps... Oh, with a chatbot? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I don't know. Perhaps it, it was the first uh, computer to pass the Turing test, um, perhaps, but... Uh, <laughs> I even forgot your question, uh, but that is to say, I think in the, the B2C world or the B2C space, uh, you just have to speak or do so many things with so many people when conducting a transaction that perhaps it's uh, more conducive to uh, remove the humans from the process, where in the B2B world, um, there are so few, I would say, opportunities, deals that are being closed in comparison to B2C and those uh, sales processes and those opportunities, those deals are rather complex. Mm -hmm. um, and so you need to, to have a human uh, in that mix or a really fantastic computer that can beat the Turing test. Chris, did you want to add to that or? I think this is, is absolutely fascinating how, I think this coming back to the beginning of the funnel in both aspects, um, I think this is where, at least in, in my view, B2C and B2B become more similar. So uh, now we're trying to advertise, or not we, but some companies do, but, and we're thinking about it, uh, advertising on LinkedIn uh, for B to B2B customers. Mm -hmm. And so of course the ads look differently, but it is still an ad that is driven towards a target group with the same metrics that we use when we advertise on Facebook directly to consumers. And the goal of these is not only to get to the deal, but in some respects, it's just learning as much as we can about the person on the other side. And of course, they're driven by different intentions. So the B2B partner has a completely different set of intentions than the direct customer. But in the end, they are also looking at the direct customers and their needs. And they have certain questions that need to be answered. So the process of what you need to do in that sales process right at the beginning is pretty similar now. 
I think we will see more of that. You, you will see more classic marketing activities being used for B2B. Right now, though, we decided not to do that because it's too expensive. And as, as you said, Luca, we don't know the success rate. You know, with the Facebook ad, I see the conversion right away. I can measure whether this sells or not, and I can take down the ad that doesn't convert. I can't do that in B2B. And this is the complexity I think you refer to, is this is where you need a human being to understand, okay, this person opened my message, opened my email, clicked through, but then stopped. Why is that? So now I need to follow up as a human being to answer the complex questions that led to this deal not closing. And this is not something uh, an, an algorithm can do at this point. I will take years. It, but it does analyze it. And I think that's still progress compared to what we used to have is that we have those statistics. We can see when an email sent and it's not opened or why it might not be open versus another email that's open. So I think it's already using a bit of the automation in there. So I think you both agreed that at the top of the funnel, it can be very similar in terms of you use that to get your leads. Yeah. The difference is B2C is a lower price point. So you can see immediately if that ad worked versus B2B, where you might collect an email and then do follow up and all that kind of stuff. Is that what we're, are we agreed on that or how are we feeling? <laughs> I, I would agree with you on that. I would say that um, the process is the same, but the price point for those automation tools um, mm -hmm. are generally more expensive because they are tailored to you, Christoph, the company who has funding, right? Or other companies who have those resources to spend mm -hmm. on uh, those activities. But at the core of it, it's still the same, I think. It's um, Luca, the, the BDR, the SDR, finding that phone number in the yellow pages or phone book. Or <laughs> people see, they don't use yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Whatever, the thing, right? People don't know what um, the pages are anymore. <laughs> yeah, dialing one's number, you know, leaving a message and yeah. following up, continuing, right? That process can be uh, automated still, I think. And that data can still be extrapolated from the results of my attempt of, of reaching that individual. Yeah, that's just true. costly. Manual or not. Um, you know, this this brings up another point for me is that technology strategy, I mean, it meets sales and marketing potential. But one of the bigger barriers I see is that often within organizations, sales and marketing are not working very well together, or mm. there's a gap somewhere in the organization. So even automating that whole process is very difficult. I just had a call today with somebody about user experience versus customer experience. How can you possibly separate the two these days, right? So what are your thoughts on that? Are companies doing this the wrong way? Should there be um, you know, a consistent view across the company before they start this journey? Oh, that's a hard question. Um, <laughs> it's gonna, I'm gonna default to it depends. Um, Mark, Mark, I think at least marketing and sales definitely go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. Although depending on the organization and who leads uh, the respective departments, the remit is going to be different and there might be a conflict in one's remit. Um, sales will always blame marketing for not enough leads and marketing will always blame sales for being expensive and can't closing anything. I as a salesperson, and this will be the only time I admit it ever, um, but we need marketing for sure, right? Uh, unfortunately, they are the, uh, the barbecuers of deals and the sales process, which means that they get all of the blame, but none of the glory. I will always say you botched the chicken, but I'll never say that you, it, you cooked it so perfectly. I'll, I'll say the chef did it, right? Um, but it does go very, very much hand in hand. Uh, to, what a great answer. That's definitely going to be a quote. <laughs> <laughs> to, to the genesis of your question, however, um, it really depends, I think, on the organization, um, mm -hmm. how they want to, to run the top of the funnel activity. Okay. 
So let, now let's talk about the sales automation. So what have you, either one of you used and used well or found failed poorly? And uh, what would you suggest as first steps in this kind of a, a thought process of like, we're just about to start out with sales automation. Where do we go? <laughs> what do we do? Not talking about um, companies so much as the technology itself and which pieces of the model you should be automating already if you're not. Chris, you want to go first? <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, we've tried a lot of things. Um, and I'm still, I'm still pretty convinced that you need a pretty diversified set of tools if you want to make this successful, which mm -hmm. means you have to have strong, small software pieces that have great uh, integration with other tools. Um, the hope and this wishful thinking that one big tool is going to solve this problem for you is just, uh, I, don't, I doubt that this will ever happen. Um, so yeah, well, of course we're using Salesforce, but uh, Salesforce does, did not solve the problem. Um, do, you need so many different uh, tools to make sales, Salesforce actually do what it's supposed to do. Um, and that's normal. And the reason is that this, the technologies shift in different directions very fast. So pretty much every three months, what you used then is no longer integrating with the next tool. Um, so you gotta, you gotta be adaptive in this field and constantly shift. So your email marketing will be different in three months, but it will be easier to migrate your data. Um, and so I think the tools you pick today, uh, I would always recommend running them as an experiment for your sales process. If it works for you, then keep it. If it doesn't, then switch it out. There are hundreds of tools doing similar things, but they all made for a specific context. And this is a beautiful world we live in, um, that different providers come with very similar solutions and only one of them will really work for you and you just need to find that one you can't trust the big names only uh, this is my biggest learning um, and we still struggle internally with a lot of people uh, not wanting to switch from microsoft to anything else which means you're you know you're kind of limited in your world uh, and you, you can't experiment in all aspects but this is when you have a history as a company and you're engineering driven, they don't want to, they don't want to try sales tools or marketing tools. And what you just said, so we have to integrate the whole team and say, like, you all have to understand the whole process because now out of a sudden I need the product developer to talk to marketing and marketing talk to sales means they have to be on the same platform looking at the same data. And that's not what they used to yet. Um, and I think this is a, a, a challenge that many companies face where uh, different people use different tools internally and they have to look at the same data in the end. Um, and you buy yourself a lot of problems uh, by not integrating your tools. So yeah, that, that's why the automation needs a very strong strategy from the beginning. I think that that's a big challenge, especially for companies with legacy systems. That's always the downfall Absolutely. of these legacy systems is that they can't test new technology that might do the job better because they can't integrate it with their old technology. So I like what you said about, you you know, you, you can't sit down and build that entire process map and put everything in place. It has to be an agile and we use that term a lot, so I feel like I'm using a buzzword bingo. Uh, but it, it, it does have to be agile because there are different tools. I mean, I'm just finding out this year about five of the tools that do what I've been doing manually for the last three years, and they only got launched this year. And you, if you're not aware, you just carry on doing it your same old way, right? Um, Luca, did you want to jump in on that? I, I think you're absolutely right, Christoph. I mean, one must challenge their own models, otherwise... Uh, lest you be, dare I say, a robot, says one prolific author from one <laughs> prolific book that says not to be a robot. Um, I think the root of perhaps the, the question is, you know, why, 
what does like automation do for a particular sales process, right? Maybe not what is the tool you should use because most people are using it or it does a particular thing, but why do you want that tool done? Or why do you want that tool and what problem does it address like most things? Um, And perhaps to answer in a short way, uh, let me just take a couple of steps back and share with you uh, sales math as it were, right? Um, To identify the challenges in sales. In the sales process, as we discussed much earlier, sales is done at the end, right? Uh, Where someone closes or you take out your card of card at the checkout and swipe. But in order to get there, you need a a healthy amount of opportunities. Um, Usually twice the number of uh, deals you want closed. And how many opportunities you get depends on how many leads you have at the top of the funnel, usually 5X or 10X. So from top of the funnel to bottom of the funnel or from close to from prospect to close, you need almost, dare I say, 50x the actual volume, right? So if volume is the challenge, how do you get more volume in a sustainable manner? Um, And that's where you find all sorts of tools presently to gather leads, to automate a cadence, to at least get that initial interest where then someone like ourselves can come in and qualify that lead um, into, uh, or rather further into closing an opportunity. Um, So plenty of tools out there that that do that. Just choosing the one that addresses the problem that you have. I love that you say choosing the one because I think I might be using three at the moment. We'll come back to that. Um, No, because then you've got, you need a CRM and you need your lead gentle and you need a lead funnel and blah, blah, right. blah. Um, but you know what I do? I do love that because I think it comes back to something Christoph always does say is that it starts with strategy, not technology. So what is the problem that we're solving is exactly the right message to send out there. Um, and I guess that comes back to the human piece because you very clearly, Luca, you see a sales human being at the end of that funnel, whereas B2C is not always the case. Um, Chris, you're kind of in a, in a joint space as well, aren't you? You're, you also have a human at the end of the sale, no? Mm-hmm, well, lots of humans at the end of the sales. <laughs> no, uh, yeah. I mean, obviously it's easier to, uh, to automate in a B2C setting where uh, Shopify Plus pretty much does everything for you in the end, you know? The checkout emails, the shipping, everything is automated. Um, all the interaction on the basic level with the customers is automated. So even closing the deal doesn't happen with a human on our side. Even when someone abandons their cart and the product's in there and they leave, the tools automatically pull them back in with email and ads. So that is, there's a lot of automation already built into many of these tools. But I think a really important point that Luca touched upon is um, that if you want your, your team to use certain tools, they need to go what, uh, and understand what's behind the tool. And that's really the question, what kind of insight do I need to do my job? Mm-hmm. And where's that insight coming from? Can the tool help me gain information that I wouldn't have any other way? And so more importantly, then does the tool help me operationally is for me, what kind of data does go into the tool? Mm-hmm. And is that data informing me in a way that helps me do my job in a better way? That's really hard uh, to understand if you're not a data-driven person. Um, but I think in a few years, there, will, there won't be any companies left that are not data-driven. You're kind of being forced. But right now, I see with a lot of companies that, I, uh, that I'm advising that they're drowning in data. Mm-hmm. And they're not looking at the right points because they're not starting with the question, 
of the insight. So what am I looking for? But they're looking at a dashboard that has incredibly amounts of data points and no one has a question that this data that this data is supposed to answer. So you're looking at this. By the way, it's just it's just on technology rather than a KPI that used to be useless in the corporations. Yeah. (laughs) And it's hard because you get bombarded with data. So you feel like, oh yeah, this should all run automatically. But no, it's still a human that needs to decide when this email goes out after the checkout. Mm-hmm. Do you really want people to get 10 emails after they abandon a product in your cart? That is your decision. And it's a very human decision. That's psychology that has nothing to do with technology. And just letting automation run your business is dangerous. Mm-hmm. I would absolutely agree with that. Um, I received an email uh, after I'd already made a purchase saying last chance to buy. And I'm like, oh, that's an automation fail right there. <laughs> exactly. Um, You brought up a really interesting question, Chris, because I'm going to close off soon with uh, final takeaways from both of you because we're we're running out of time already. Um, But you had brought up a really interesting question and I want to get to that is why will sales agents act like consultants far beyond the products and services? Why was that a core question that you brought to mind? Um, I think because um, so a consultant helps you to go into a new world that you might maybe not understand yet fully. So what we see in B2B very often is that uh, our people have to, they have to take the hand of the the client on the other side and they drag them into this new world where, oh yeah, no, you don't use a fax machine anymore to do, to bring in your orders or you don't need to pick up the phone every time. Um, So I feel rather than trying to find the tools that the person on the other side is already using is can you help them move to a tool that would do this interaction in a better way that is true for customers but i also think it's true for our partners so Mm -hmm. some of our partners we want to help and bring them on so example affiliates we want them to go onto an affiliate marketing platform where everything is handled in 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 their payments and, and the commissions i don't want individual contracts with all these affiliates anymore so, but some of them are not on the platforms yet. So we have to drag them onto the platform. That's part of our job and that's a consulting job. That's not a sales job. Right, interesting. And Luca, do you have any thoughts on that? I would say perhaps it's the same, uh, even in the, the, the word consultant, right? As a, uh, as a consultant, you're helping another entity organization understand something better based on what you've learned or what your organization teaches. I mean, in the same way, sales is very much the, the same uh, idea, hopefully, which is to help another individual do something better or improve or save money or make money, right, as uh, we brought up earlier. Um, so yeah, fu- fully agree with you, Christoph, in that um, sales professionals very much should act like consultants. Um, the, the follow-on question to that is, where do you act like consultants, right? And, and where do you spend your time uh, consulting? Um, perhaps that's the uh, topic for another day. Um, mm-hmm. But that is part of that sales process. Well, I mean, you both made the case that clearly, you know, this automation of sales can't be taken for granted, but also made a good case for if you do it badly, it's also can destroy your sales, let's be honest. Um, so our final question, because we only have a couple of minutes left, final question, what's your final takeaways? Do you have any tips for the people who are listening on how they can start this journey or enhance their journey? Whoever wants to. the honors. <laughs> <laughs> you want to start? <laughs> Me or you? You go ahead. After you, Chris. Um, I think um, 
a fair assessment of where you are in terms of your strengths and weaknesses. Um, I think every, or at least that's what I learned. Uh, some people are very product driven. Those are mostly our engineers. They look at everything you do in terms of what can the product provide. Then there are people who look at the customer side. And then there are people who have the intentions of the partners in mind. And all three come with very different intentions for the company. And it is the job of leadership to compensate for which one is strong, which one, where are our weaknesses. And for us, definitely, we have right now, we don't have enough customer focus because we're a very engineering driven company. And so I need to know that I need to compensate for that. And an assessment of that, of these three is, I think, very valuable. Um, then I would say, define your own KPIs. Don't just follow the KPIs that others provide for you. Um, you need to know how you measure success. And for us, for example, in e-commerce, I would say in our sales process, it's way more important how much profit we get out of one product than it is how much revenue we make. Um, and this, this is something we need to understand. Plus, we have some KPIs that have nothing to do with, uh, with sales numbers. Super interesting to bring them into the mix. Um, and then lastly, I would say uh, always start with a strategy for automation. Don't start, don't start automating things if you don't know why you're doing it. Very good. Luca, did you have anything to add to that? Uh, sure. Um, uh, sales is a very complex topic, of course, and there's different methodologies and schools of thought and uh, different schools of thought for different parts of the sales process. But um, if there was a, a few things that I could take or learn or tell myself rather, you know, 10 years ago when, we all, when I started this, it was one, uh, to be grounded in reality, much like Christoph, to your point, Right, to make sure that whatever one does or the goals that you set are practical and, dare I say, measurable um, and grounded in something that is also attainable. Uh, the second is to simply be authentic. Uh, yes, an overused term nowadays, but um, I think, I think uh, individuals, buyers, prospects, your future customers can tell um, when you're trying to sell them something. Um, but rather, if you are just simply yourself, um, and help another entity and organization um, solve their problems and achieve their goals um, and do it in a real and human way, um, I think that will dramatically improve one's sales process. Fantastic. Thank you, Luca. And you know, I don't think authentic ever goes out of style, even if people are using it. So there you have it. Chris's final notes are know where you are and where you want to go before you start this sales automation. Um, we have to close up there because we've run out of time. So audio will be shared on Spotify. The video will be shared on YouTube and information on where to find these two great speakers will be underneath both. Thanks for joining and see you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you. Tinybox Academy. For more information, visit us at tinybox.academy.